in a recent survey by a guy named George Barna. It says religious faith showed a significant correlation with life perspectives. Evangelicals, for instance, were substantially more likely than any other faith segment to strongly assert that they were very happy with life, 84%. They feel connected to other people, 85%. Their religious faith is constantly growing deeper and they were the, best, the least likely to feel their life is getting more stressful each year, 14%. The faith group most dissimilar to evangelicals was the atheists and agnostics. Those in this non-faith category was the segment least likely to feel happy, 57%, feel connected, 57%, say their faith is growing deeper, 19%, and most likely to feel that they're increasing, increasingly stressful and that life is too complex. I said, uh, you know, I could have told you that without doing the survey because we have an anchor, and that anchor is who we're going to talk about today, and that anchor is Jesus. And this story that we have today is, I think, one of the most significant stories around this issue of storms and problems and trials in the Bible. And the question that I want you to keep in front of you today is, what storms are you currently facing? Now, I'm not going to take this up, and you hide it from everybody, but I'd like you to flip your paper over that you have that I handed out the notes on. And I'd like you to write this question across the top of your page. Now, those of you that are rebellious, um, your wives hit your husbands or the person sitting next to you and say, that means you too, okay? And if you don't have a spouse or a mate to hit you, I'm going to go over and hit you and say, uh, you too, okay? Write this down. Write it on the back. You say, well, I don't have a pen. Well, just use your dirty fingernail. I, you can find a pen, Okay. Write down, what storms are you facing today? And you say, well, I don't know. I, wait, don't, you don't answer it yet. Just write the question down, okay? <laughs> write the question down. Now, if the storms start jumping out at you immediately, it's okay to write the... And, and also, let me tell you, we're not going to take this up. This is not... Uh, I know this disappoints the teachers in here, but this is not a pop quiz. All right, this is, this is for you, and I want you to take it away. And, I, and I'm just as serious as I can possibly be. Now, having said that, it's, it's critical to note something that I guess caught my attention this week that never has in reading this story. And that this story of Jesus walking on the water and calming the storm, that in this story, the, the central a theme and the most impactful part of, of what we should come away with today is not the storm. The most important thing that I want you to focus on today and what I believe John wanted us to focus on when he wrote this was the person who calmed the storm. This is all about Jesus. This is all about him. This is not about the waves crashing on the Sea of Galilee. Now, here's what I would say, and I offer this as the key theme of this story that I'm sure all of you know extremely well. And we'll not read all of the account from Matthew in chapter 14 and all of the account in Mark chapter 6. I encourage you to do so. I'm going to point out a couple of things that make the story richer 
as we go along, propose that the key theme today is that Jesus is personally involved in calming the storms of life and delivering his people through them. I'll say it again in a little while. He brings peace and he delivers in storms. This is not going to be a big uh, exegesis of the Greek or Aramaic words that may be included in this text. And I don't think that's the reason and that's the method that John would choose for us to discuss this method today. I believe that this great story that we heard since we were little kids that I've seen on a flannel graph board from probably age three that this great story is all about how Jesus knows and gets personally involved with Ron Bowers' storms or Don Mask's storms or more likely Cecil Storms living with Don Mask, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't want to say who's raising her hand back there, but Donna's going, sorry, Terry. I got to tell a story right here. I got to tell a story. Yes, he is, isn't he? Yes. Um, I got to tell a story here. Easy for me to say. We were at the new members workshop last week. I was at the new members workshop last week, and, and um, you know who my new member was last week? Joy. Do you know that Joy was saved in 1944 and was baptized in a creek right by the church? Isn't that amazing? It's a great story. Anyway, the funny story was that before that, we were meeting with the people who were the host, and Randy Wolf, I mean, you know Randy Wolf, Randy's a great guy, uh, former professional golfer, one of the elders in our church, a few years older than me, but just a great guy, I love him to death. He was, we were talking about what blessings have you had, and he raised his hand, he said, my blessing is that my wife and I have been married this week for 50 years. It's our 50th anniversary. And everybody, yeah, that's great. And he said, I just asked her, he said, you know, honey, let's just re-up for, let's recommit for another 10 years. And then he said, she said, how about seven? <laughs> so, Donna, you may want to think about that. that uh, Let's read the story again. Verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark. Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three, three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. They were terrified, but he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Now, underline, it is I. We'll come back to that. It's the only place we're going to go back and look at some original language that I think you'll, you'll like. Then they were willing to take him to the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore uh, where they were headed. Now, let me just give you some maps again. Here's the Sea of Galilee, Lake, Lake Tiberias, they called it uh, at that time. And you see Capernaum there on the north uh, western 
corner of the lake. And if you look here, this is probably, this, they blew it up, this is probably where they launched from and went across to Capernaum. Now, at the widest point, this lake is uh, seven to eight miles across. So they were about halfway. And if you look at it from Scripture, from all the, pa from all the passages that you can read, they left sometime in the evening. And Jesus, does anybody know what time they came to it when, when Jesus came walking on the waters? Does anybody know what time? <coughs> the fourth watch. What's the fourth watch? Anybody know? That's three to six o'clock in the morning. So they started from here and were going to Capernaum, which is sort of Jesus' home base during his ministry, and they're rowing uh, across the Sea of Galilee. Now, they had been instructed by Jesus, if you read Mark's account, as well as an inference in Matthew's account, they had been instructed to get in the boat and leave. The crowd was dispersing. Remember, we'd had the feeding of the 5,000. The crowd's dispersing. Jesus is up, gets away from them. He wants to be alone. Uh, and he, he goes away from the crowd. He instructs the disciples, and Matthew, he said he instructs the disciples to go on to the other side. Now, that should have been a hint for them that they were going to make it because Jesus said, go to the other side. He didn't say go to the middle and drown. He said go to the other side. Of course, our hindsight makes great faith for us, doesn't it? Or if he told me we're going to the other side, I, would have, I wouldn't worry me at all. Well, maybe, maybe not. So the Sea of Galilee is beautiful. This is morning at the Sea of Galilee when Sally and I were there two years ago. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful lake. It's 680 six feet below sea level it is the largest freshwater lake. Where's Robert? There it is. It's the largest freshwater lake, sorry, the lowest freshwater lake in the world. It's not the lowest lake in the world. What's the lowest lake in the world? The, no, not Pontchartrain. <laughs> Close. Robert, that, that's a good answer, right? But it was a wrong answer, okay? The right answer is the lowest lake. Anybody else got a guess? It, right, the Dead Sea, because it is a uh, salty sea, right? So it's Lake Pontchartrain. I like that one. That's a good one. I hadn't thought I'm going to have to include that in my text next time and then check that out to be sure. He's the one that questioned me about where it came from in the beginning, so Robert keeps me on my toes. But it's this sea way, way below sea level, here standing up on the Mount of Beatitudes, looking down into the Sea of Galilee. I've got another picture. It's, like I said, it's seven or eight miles across. And what happens is that it forms almost a, there's almost a funnel effect of the winds that come through there. You can be on there, it can be perfectly calm like it is that uh, morning we were there. This is not too far from Capernaum. But it can also be it immediately become one of the stormiest seas that you could ever imagine. There's no doubt that when the disciples started out, it was nice and calm, 
And then boom, here it comes. And so they rode and rode and rode and rode. And I noticed one commentator said, even today the situation is similar. Power boats periodically are warned to remain docked as the winds whip the water into foamy white caps. So that's what they're facing. Jesus has said, go to the other side. They take off when it gets dark, when evening comes. They're taking off. Now, these guys are professionals. They're fishermen. They know what they're doing. They take off. They head down across the lake. They're coming across the lake. And then that's when our story really takes, takes on its meaning. The boat, I, th I found something else interesting, that the boat... People wondered for years how you got to have a boat that fills uh, that is filled by uh, twelve people, and because there's 12, it's got to be a big fishing boat for that time, and they couldn't figure it out. So in 1986, this guy found the two brothers found the boat, not the boat that necessarily Jesus was in, but a fishing boat that they dated to the first century. It's an amazing story, just how they. They got this boat out of the water. It, there was a, a time of drought, and they looked over, and they were doing some archaeological work, and these two brothers found what they thought was a, a boat covered in mud. And so they pumped uh, polystyrene and, and everything else and, and really encased it in a mold so that it wouldn't be you know, foam and all of this stuff. And so they, they, we, we heard them tell this story. We were at the Alain Museum when they told this story. And they floated the boat up and then moved the boat out. And then they, uh, then they covered it for 12 years to give time for the, the boat to, for whatever the wood needed to do. And now it sits in a museum like this that you see. Plenty big enough. It is actually, I, I took the dimensions of it. It's 27 foot long, seven and a half foot wide, and guess how many people it would seat? 12. Had a mass for a sale. All of a sudden they said, you know, I, I guess they could do this back then. Just an interesting note that I saw. But I think it's important to note that there's only two characters in this story. And the two characters are Jesus and the disciples. That's it. So what does that mean? Well, I, I tell you what I think it means. I think this means that the story is for us. The story is not for the world. This story is for us. The story is for Jesus and his disciples. This story is for you and me. This story is about Jesus and what happens when he intervened in the storm in the life of the disciples. So, he sees the disciple putting all their strength into the wind trying to get through the storm. Picture it in your mind. They're rowing all night. And they're rowing and they're rowing and they're rowing. And it said that Jesus perceived, but another part of the text that he's, he was up high enough or he could see it. It doesn't really matter. Jesus could see it. He knew it was going to happen. This was a part of his grand plan for us. And so Jesus sees that and he acts. And it shows us that in storms, that the, the, the rowing and the human effort is totally inadequate. But that the master 
of the storm and the Lord of our life has everything we need to get us to where he's already told us we're going to be. So, when he got to the boat, he calmed them down. Now, I think it's interesting to note, though, that in Mark, it says that Jesus was about to pass by. That's interesting. wonder why Mark included that. When, if, when you read that, what do you think? Why is that included in the story, in the passage in, in the book of Mark? That Jesus was walking on the water. Here they are fighting, fighting, fighting. It says he was about to walk past them when they noticed him. What does that mean? What does that mean, Mike? Uh, I was going to tell you it may mean that he was waiting on them to, uh, to call upon him. I, I, yeah, I think so. I think that's why he said it. I think, uh, I think he's saying that many times uh, we're in storms and um, Jesus is passing by. Say, hey, remember me? I, I can help you with that. So he's passing by and the disciples uh, get all shook up and Jesus says, hey, he says the words, two words in the Greek language, ego, I me, E-G-O-E-I-M-I, ego, I me. It has a double meaning. It means it's me, I'm here. It also means the I am is here. Remember when we talked about this a few weeks ago, John chapter 1, we, we referred to this several times, but remember when, remember when Moses met God and God said, I want you to go deliver my people, and he goes, I can't do that, I, I, I stutter, <laughs> I can't do that, you can get somebody else, and uh, the Lord said, no, I want you. And Moses, what did Moses say? Well, who should I tell him sent me? And God, the personal name for God in the Old Testament, he said, tell them the I am has sent you. The God of eternity. The God that existed before creation, after creation, and in eternity. Tell them that's who's sending you. So Jesus comes into the area of the disciples and he said don't 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 get worried I am is here I am I control all this I created all this the I am is here then he said don't go on being afraid so he said I, I came here my presence will take care of your fear now that's the story. What should we learn from that story? I just have a few things. Number one, life, ch life's challenges that we face threaten our peace. Life's challenges threaten our peace. Jesus said to his disciples, my peace I leave with you. He said, you're going to have tribulation and trouble in the world, but my peace I give you. 
And as I, as I thought about that this week, I said, they are being challenged, they are afraid, it was threatening their peace. And so, just like we have challenges and our, and our peace gets threatened, sometimes just like that, isn't it? A quick remembrance for me was on, on October 24th, three years ago, Saturday evening, we, Sally and I, were sitting talking about our trip. We were leaving on Monday to head for flying into Madrid, Spain, and spend uh, a week or so or two weeks in Spain. I get a call, and my, my peace was shattered immediately because it was my niece saying that her dad, my younger brother, had just suddenly died of a massive heart attack and gone to be with Jesus. And my peace was gone because of the storm, a challenge that tries to take away our peace. So we were, you know, very, we were just uh, devastated, obviously. And I've told a long story, and I won't belabor the story. It's to illustrate the point. And the point was, I made, I made a call and, and um, I actually called Tommy. I said, Tommy, somebody's going to have to teach for me in the morning. Uh, the next call I made, I said, it was my mother. I have to go talk to my mother. And my father was still alive at the time, so I went and talked to them, told them that. And all of our lives, peace was shattered, right? And I got home, and uh, most of the night, of course, we didn't sleep. But, and and wept and, and thought about all the things and the blessings that had been to, to, to know Russell and what a joy it was in our life. And then that morning getting up and saying, you know, my peace has been challenged, but for some reason, my peace is still here. And the Lord said, hey, go, go talk, go teach. Go do what I tell you to do. Go, go do that. I'll, I'll take care of that. And I said, okay, will you get in the boat with me? And that challenge of my peace was immediately removed. And um, number two, Jesus is the same regardless of circumstances walking on the water. Jesus is the same regardless of the circumstances. See, we're the ones that get upset by the circumstances. Jesus never changes. We get all messed up because of, well, yeah, Lord, did, did you know this happened? <laughs> he probably does. Yeah, but this happened to me. And this is, this is, I just can't deal with this. He says, I got this. So Jesus is the same regardless of the circumstances. Number three, peace should come with his presence erasing the fear of the outcome of bad circumstances. Read this story again sometime, and you'll notice what were they afraid of? Were they afraid of the storm? Were, not a rhetorical question, class. Were they afraid of the storm? Where does it say that? Hmm? They were they afraid of what? Drowning. No, that's not what they were afraid of. Look at the chat. Look at the verse. 
What were they afraid? They were afraid of the ghost. They were afraid of the ghost. Now, I, I'm sure they were afraid of the, of the, for their lives and they feared for the storm, but you can read all three of the passages and it will never say, oh no, the waves are coming over the boat. What are we going to do? And I've heard that preached a thousand times, haven't you? That's not what happened. <laughs> it said they were afraid because of the ghost they saw. They saw what they, they said, it's a ghost. So what do I learn from that? Well, I learned that maybe if I was expecting Jesus to enter into the storm, I wouldn't have thought it was ghost. I've been looking for it. But that's just my thought. Number four, in storms, Jesus offers divine fellowship. I, this is one of those things that came that I, I got reading this week. You know, I get these nine gazillion, that's a, ministerially speaking, I get a lot of these devotional things every, every day. One of them from, from Max Licato, which I love. But Max said this on uh, Tuesday. Jesus has told us, I will pray for you through the storm. Are those prayers answered? Of course. You might disagree. If Jesus was praying, why did the storm even happen at all? Well, that storm-free life will be inaugurated in the eternal kingdom. Between now and then, since this is a fallen world, and since the devil still stirs doubt and fear, we can count on storms. But we can also count on the presence and prayers of Christ in the midst of them. I think he said that pretty well. Number five, trade fear for fellowship. Trade fear for fellowship. Number six, Jesus' presence provides protection. Many times you say, well, is this fear. You know, we should never fear. We should never be afraid. It's not a matter of being afraid. You're going to be afraid. When the doctor comes in and says, here's the diagnosis, and you say, well, I'm not afraid. Liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> so, well, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not afraid when I when they come and tell me that uh, we're going to foreclose on your home. That's not true. We, are, we do have fear. It's what we do with that fear that distinguishes our walk with Jesus. And so, um, I, let me talk about that just a second. The, the fellowship that we can have in the storm is the key to this whole thing. When I was a young... I, very young. I, I pastored a church when I was 24 years old. Big mistake for that church. Um, I, I knew nothing. When I was 25 years old, there was a man in that church, and he was sort of the mean guy in the church. This is a church that was very small. Um, you know, we had 56 the first Sunday I was there. So we had a guy in the church named George Pangaro. I'll never forget George. George and Lois Pangaro and their two kids, teenage kids at that time. And George Pangaro, I mean, he was just, he was a member of the church. He came every Sunday, but he was, he was meaner than a junkyard dog. And he, uh, he had a heart attack one day. And all of a sudden, George was not mean anymore. And I talked to George. George came to church that next Sunday, and George walked down the aisle. He said, this is why I've been mean, because I never have been saved. And George got saved, and I baptized him. 
Then six weeks later, they called us to the hospital. George had a major, another major heart attack, and George died. And so Lois Pangaro and, and Karen and um, John, well, they, they did things a little different. Well, first of all, it was up in, uh, up in uh, New Jersey. They do everything different in New Jersey. Sorry, honey. That's the one good, can any good thing come out of New Jersey? She's it. But uh, so, sorry, there may be a couple of others from New Jersey. <laughs> so we went into the, into the room where Georgia just died. I mean, they still, he's still in the, you know, the waiting ICU waiting room, but he never made it there. He's in an emergency room in one of the small emergency rooms, and George is already with Jesus. Man, I didn't know what to do. So I, I took Lois and, jo and John and, and Karen and I said, let's just take hands and let's invite Jesus to come into our little area here and to give us the peace that we need. And I'm going to say, at 25 years old, that's the first time I ever knew what that's supposed to be. And Jesus gave us peace. That's what he's looking for in the storm, is to bring fellowship because he's personally involved in the storm. He loved those disciples. He said, I'm going with you. I'll meet you on the other side. You're going there. I'll remind you once more. Jesus is personally involved in calming the storms of life and delivering his people through them. So what do I do about that? Turn that paper back over now. What are your storms? Let me close with this. What do I do in the middle of these storms then? And you may have them listed. It may be, uh, it may be finances. It may be health. It may be family. It may be relational. I don't know what it is, but it may be a job. But that's a storm for you. You say, well, I don't have one right now. I, I hate to say it, but this will work because one's coming. I don't want to be the prophet of doom, but we will have storms. In the world, you will have tribulation. What do I do? Number one, invite Jesus into your boat in the storm. Don't let him pass by. Invite him in. I have found the same thing is true in times of temptation. Times of temptation, what I try to do, and I'm learning, is to stop and just say, Jesus, I need you to help me right now. And I promise you, in times of temptation, it has never failed me. The problem is I find that many times I don't want him to help me. I want to go ahead and succumb to the temptation. That's the difficulty. But I've also found that in times of storm, we may let him go past us because we're going to fix it. And, and guys, okay, Ladies, most of the time you can cut me out on this. Guys, you need to listen to this part. We can fix anything, can't we? <laughs> Guess what? There are some storms you can't fix. There are some storms that are going to come in your life, guys, that you cannot fix. Quit trying to fix them. Run to the one who's walking on the water and let him inside the boat and say, Jesus, I need you to fix this. I love the way the story says it, too. It doesn't say that Jesus calmed the sea. It, uh, right, it doesn't say he calmed the sea, then they rowed to shore. What does it say happened? Immediately. Immediately. It's Star Trek. 
It's beamed me up, Scotty. They sit there and they say, this is terrible, this is horrible. All of a sudden, they're there. <laughs> it's a miracle. Hey, guys, we need the miracle. We can't fix everything. And lastly, number two, worship him. Matthew 14 and verse 33 said, Then those who were in the boat worshipped him. They worshipped him. One more thing that I read, and this is the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll say. I'll shut up. In the um, devotion book that uh, Mike and Julie gave me, New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp. I don't remember which day it was, but it was this week. He said, it really is true that peace in times of trouble is not found in figuring out your life, but in worship of the one who has everything figured out already. What do we do in a storm? We try to figure it out. And he's, yeah, we can't figure it out. There's somebody's already got it figured out. Worship him. Find the fellowship in him. That's what takes you through that storm that you just listed on your paper. I hope you'll take it home and say, I, I, I need your presence in this storm. Let's pray. Thank you that you come to us in, in the storm, in the midst of the storm. We may not recognize you. We may not be looking for you. And yet, you come. And miraculously, you come. Your grace, which is uh, beyond our greatest need. <coughs> and you rescue us. And we thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen.